rest of us, we will continue our way through the gospel. According to John, we'll be in the middle of chapter 6, starting at verse 35 uh, this morning. Uh, the last two weeks, it seems, have kind of focused on bread, first with the feeding of the 5,000, and then last week, um, Jesus was taking the opportunity to try to tell the, the crowd about real bread. Not the kind of bread from the feeding of the 5,000, but real bread. He was trying to tell them what that real bread is and, and how they can have it, that ultimate real bread that only comes from Him. And as we concluded last week, the people, the crowd, asked Him a question. They said, Sir, Sir, give us this bread always. Sir, give us this bread always. How does Jesus respond to them? Let's see. Starting in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and, and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Let's pray, O oh Father. We need you present as we look to your word. Would you help us this day to see Jesus as the true bread of life? Would you convince us that it's really true? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we do look at this text this morning, just a note as we begin, we're not going to just be moving through it verse by verse. We're going to be jumping around a bit. Um, because if you even noticed as I was reading, Jesus kind of repeats himself in different ways in different places. So I think that's helpful for us. Now, of course, the topic this morning is again bread, very fitting after Thanksgiving, right? We all ate a lot of food, probably ate more food than we needed. We thought we needed it, but then you found out later on you didn't need that much. Um, I'm kind of reminded, though, as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of the reverse. Recently, I, I rewatched the Band of Brothers, that story, uh, that miniseries on World War II, and there's a, a moment where they, the army, they, they, they arrive at this concentration camp. They find it, and these people are just so totally emaciated, dying, and what are the what do they, the soldiers immediately want to do? They immediately want to give them food. They want to let them free out of this place that they're locked into. And 
It's not too long later after they've been started giving him food that a physician comes along. And what does the physician say? He said, no, we, you can't just let them out. You can't just give them all of this food. We, we need to keep them in there. We need to closely monitor them. We need to slowly reintroduce food to them or this food that they need is actually going to, to kill them. You see, there's this sense in which, yes, these people, they desperately, desperately needed food. But they needed something more too, right? They, they needed wisdom surrounding that. They, they needed people to care for them and... Jesus here in our passage this morning. He's trying to help us understand not what we think we need, but what it is that we really need. We're very easy, we're, we're very quick to convince ourselves of what we think we need. Jesus wants to convince us of what we really need, and what does he say? Verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Okay, this is the first of those great seven I am statements that we find in the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John is a little different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in a sense, you can kind of, this is really big picture, but you can kind of see it in this. The, the question sort of asked by the other three Gospels is, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that I am, Jesus asked. The Gospel of John is a little different because we are, it's very heavy on what Jesus says. Much of the Gospel of John kind of seems to be coming from a heavenly perspective. And we have these I am statements because Jesus is telling us who he is. And he's telling us who he is this morning. He says this, he says, whoever comes to me, you'll never hunger. Whoever believes in me, you will never thirst. To come to Jesus is to believe Jesus, and to believe Jesus, what about him that he fully satisfies? He fully satisfies our hunger and our thirst. And of course, we're not talking about physical hunger and thirst. Those will remain until Christ returns, right? And there are things of this world that, yes, we will long for and we will want. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's, he's, he's talking about something much more sim similar to what Blaise Pascal talks about. Maybe you've heard it before. You've heard a a different version of it, but he's famous for saying this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. That we all have, have this God-shaped vacuum in us that only Jesus himself, the, the, the bread of life, can fulfill, that only he can bring that full satisfaction that full satisfaction that, of course, we see come to fruition in the very end, right? As John tells us in a, about a picture of, of how things end in Revelation 7, what does he say? He says this. The angel said to him, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes. They've made them white in the blood of Lamb. Who are these people? These are the saints. These are believers. These are, who are all who are united in Christ on the very last day. Therefore... There before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And you hear what he goes on to say? They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of living water. God will wipe away every tears from their eyes. We'll be perfectly present with Jesus 
the one who can ultimately satisfy. Who, the one who is perfectly sufficient to satisfy us. The only one who can fill that God-shaped vacuum that Pascal speaks of. Of course, the question for you and I is, do you trust Jesus to satisfy you? Do you trust, do you really believe that, that he is the one? Is he the one that you look to for your satisfaction or do you look to everything else in this world? One author puts it this way. We will always prefer lesser satisfaction to the satisfaction of Christ. Because the lesser ones appeal to the God of self, a ravenous, insatiable, fickle idol indeed, while satisfaction in Christ requires that we assassinate that God. We won't know what it really means for the joy of the Lord to be our strength until we've had intravenous idolatry yanked out and all other crutches kicked away. And for many of us, Jesus won't be our absolute treasure until we're all out of options. You see, we all have this tendency, right? This, this tendency to think that even though Jesus says, I am the bread of life, we have this tendency to not believe him, don't we? To believe that he can't truly satisfy us. I mean, yeah, there's some things, some satisfactions he might be able to, but he can't really satisfy me, can he? Jesus addresses this tendency, doesn't he? Verse 36, he knows the heart of man. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. They have seen, but they haven't seen. One commentator puts it this way, this crowd has seen, and they have heard God in the flesh, yet the encounter has aroused not their faith, but their curiosity. Physical appetites, political ambitions, even worse, they have given challenge to the very God whom they claim to be looking for. Now, I think we all have this tendency, or maybe it's just me, to say, oh, if only I could have seen, if only I could have been there. You know, like put yourself in this crowd's place that Jesus is speaking to. If I had been there at the feeding of the 5,000, if I'd seen that, if I'd seen Jesus walk on the water, like if I'd seen those things, oh, it would be so much easier for me to believe. What did the scripture tell us? Over and over, what do we see? We see people who see it who see these wonderful manifestations of God right there before their eyes, and what do they do? They struggle to believe it. Jesus here, he's confronting the problem of our world. The, the problem of, of seeing Jesus, but not seeing him. The, this kind of seemingly natural inclination in our world to reject Jesus, to reject him at least as the true bread. Maybe we'll hold him up for a few things. Oh, he's a good teacher, he's a good this or that, or he was a kind person, and, and obviously he loved people. And, and some will use the name Christian, even. But they're not true believers. People... So often they, they'll come to Jesus just for his stuff, right? They'll come maybe, and maybe this is some here in this room this morning, you, you come to belong to a community, because that's what it's really about this morning, to belong to people and to have relationships with one another. Maybe you're here just to cover your bases this morning, 
just to make sure. Or because it's cultural, what you do. Maybe you're here, maybe some of your parents, you're here to try to secure something for your kids. What does the Apostle Paul say? He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Is this some of us in here? You, many of us in here, you, you know the gospel well. You could recite it as well as I do. You've seen it before you. You've heard it. But do you really believe? Do you really know the truth of it? Do you know Jesus? Have you come to him? Have you believed in him? Now, I know also there, there's many of us here this morning who we've believed in him. We have trusted in him. But yet we must also confess our struggle, right? So often we come to him with mixed motives. We, we want to straddle the fence with our feet in both worlds. We struggle with apathy. And what does this expose in us? It exposes that, that you and I, let, let's be honest, we really struggle to believe that Jesus can really satisfy. And so we keep looking to all these other things. Yes, of course, we need Jesus. But I also need this, and I need this. I, I'm reminded of the jerk with Steve Martin. Maybe, I'm, maybe this is way too old for many of you, but... There's this moment, you know, he's, he's built up this great empire, but then he loses everything. He's going to lose his house. He's going to lose his stuff. And what does he say? He kind of breaks down. He says, I don't need any of it. I don't need anything. And then as he's walking out, he picks up an ashtray. And he says, except this. This is the only thing I need. And then he picks up like this paddle toy. And he says, and this. And I, I need this too. And then he picks up a remote control and, and, and this, and then this, and he's carrying like all this stuff out of his house. I don't need anything, I, I, just this. This is all I need. If we're not careful, that's a picture of what we look like. We say with our mouths, oh, we don't need anything else. But oh, as we live out our lives before him, we, we buy into that lie and we keep grabbing for all of these other things because we struggle to believe that he can really satisfy. And if we're not careful, it's we struggle to believe that he can really satisfy, where does it lead us to? It leads us, I think, to grumbling. Grumbling and complaining because why? Because he hasn't satisfied us in the ways that we think we need to be satisfied. Look at the response of the people, verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? How can you claim to be from heaven? We know your mama and your daddy. So they grumble. Now you hear this language, you should be immediately reminded of the past. Exodus 16 Moses has led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and out of bondage. And what happens? And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. 
against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So what does God do? He provides bread from heaven, right? He provides manna. And then if you, you go a little bit into their future, farther along, after God's been providing them six days a week bread from heaven, what happens? Numbers 11. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, all these other things that they thought they needed to satisfy them. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. There's nothing but this bread that just comes down from heaven every day for us. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a shift up until this point in, in this chapter. It's, the people are called the crowd. It's the crowd that's following Jesus. But suddenly, there's a shift in verse 41. And suddenly, it's, it says, there's a shift from the crowd to the Jews. Why is that? It's not because all, none of the Jews were believing in him at all. But because in the Gospel of John, as you follow it through, usually whenever it kind of calls people the Jews, usually a group of people who are hostile, hostile to Jesus. And so in a sense, as one commentator puts it, what's going on here is, is they, they the, the Jews, are preserving the genuine succession of unbelief. Okay, what, what do we see here? But them doing precisely what they did in the wilderness. Yet again, they find themselves grumbling against God because he's not providing for them in the way that they want to be provided for. And so what does Jesus say to them? Verse 43, do not grumble among yourselves. Now, we can presume that they haven't actually spoken, they haven't actually said this out loud, you know, it's, but Jesus knows. He calls them out for grumbling. He calls them out for grumbling just like Moses did back in Exodus 16 where we were a few minutes ago. And what did Moses say? He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? When the Lord give you, gives you in the morning and in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us. It's against the Lord. And Jesus is trying to remind these people. He's trying to shake them. Do you not see you're repeating the exact same mistake as your, your, your forefathers? And it's going to get you nowhere. You're grumbling against who? The one who's given you provision. The one who's providing for you. And you're saying, no, you're not providing for me in the right way. Not in the way that I want to be provided for. Is this you? Do you find yourself grumbling in your heart? Do you say you believe, but at the same time grumble because he's not provided for you in the way that you want to be provided for? Because after all, we know the provision we really need, right? We know far better than him. We think we do. We think we do, but we don't. Now, all of this kind of presents us with a problem in the passage, if you think about it. 
Jesus is saying, I'm coming as, as the bread of heaven, right? I'm come to provide. I've come to fully satisfy. But what have we seen over and over, as, even as we've gone through the Gospel of John, and what do we even see this morning, that as Jesus comes as the one that is the bread of life coming to fulfill this great mission, we see people failing to believe. People failing to follow him. And you almost want to ask for a second, like, is your mission a failure, Jesus? You keep saying these things to people, and they keep rejecting you. They keep grumbling in their hearts. They're not believing you. Almost as though Jesus is thinking about these objections. What does he say to make clear? Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You see, while many may not believe in Jesus, what is Jesus saying? His mission will not be thwarted. Even though these people are grumbling, don't think for a second he doesn't accomplish what he comes to accomplish. Just because they're grumbling because they don't think his bread is enough, Jesus says it is enough. And he has complete confidence in his Father, doesn't he? For, he says, all, all that the Father gives will come. And all that the Father gives will be welcomed by Jesus and they will be kept by him. Now, I know there may be a multitude of questions in your mind right now, but maybe the one we should be asking but probably aren't is, why does the Father give me, why does the Father give you as a gift to the Son? You see that? He gives us. The Father gives us to the Son. Why? I'm reminded in Sunday school, we've, we've recently spent some time talking about adoption and how we're adopted. That's part of our, our being united with Christ. That's part of what he does for us. He adopts us into this wonderful family. And there's this wonderful verse in Hebrews 2. The author says this. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And I hear those words and I'm like, yeah, isn't he ashamed of me? You know, isn't that kind of our natural inclination to think? Why would God save me? Yet here we are told what? That the Father gives us to the Son. He gives us to the here we need to see a picture, I think, that, that he gives us to the Son, and, and in that we are like caught up in the wonderful love of the Father for the Son. Caught up in that wonderful love of the Father for the Son. See what kind of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Why you and I is a gift? How are we a gift? It just doesn't make sense. I'm not a very good gift to give the second person of the Trinity, am I? In Isaiah 53, we read of the suffering servant. The suffering servant who is, of course, Jesus himself, right? And we're told this incredible prophecy about him, and we read this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him the Messiah. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Now get this. In the midst of this suffering, 
What does he say? Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. No regret here. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The father shows his love for the son by giving him brothers and sisters that he can redeem and bring into the family. And he says, all, all that he gives will what? Come to me. All will come. Now, how do we come? Verse 44. No one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Who can come? How can you come? No one can come. It's an impossibility unless. Unless what? The Father draws him to himself. Unless the Father reaches out. It's the only way. There is no other way. From eternity, let's look at the big picture here. From eternity, the Father has planned to give us as a gift to his Son to redeem. And he gives this gift how? By drawing us with an irresistible love. An irresistible love. Something that we call, we've been talking about in our Sunday school class, something we call effectual calling, right? The Shorter Catechism puts it this way, effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds and the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. We come, why? Because we want to come. And how is it that we're able to come? We're able to come because the Father draws us. He removes the blinders, the scales from our eye so that we can see the wonder and the good news of the gospel. And when we see that wonder of the good news of the gospel, we we respond. When we see the incredible love of the Son for us, willing to give His very own life so that we might have life. And so all that the Father draws come to Him. This is His mission. We read about His mission, right? Verse 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose what? Nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He he comes from heaven not to do His own will, but the will of His Father who sent Him. And what is the will? Of his father, that he lose none. How many? None, that he lose nothing of all that has been given to the Son. All those who have been given to the Son, drawn by the Father, come in. He, as we saw previously, he will never, Jesus promises, he will never cast them out if the Father has drawn them to him. And Jesus goes on to say something that kind of almost seems like it shifts gears if we think about it. So we've seen God is sovereignly at work. You know what sovereign means, right? That God is in complete control. He's complete control of our salvation. We come because the Father draws us, right? Because God is at work bringing us to himself. 
But then we also read verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And if you're really thinking, you might got to think, well, how is this possible? If God is sovereign, if He is the one who draws us, if it is the Father who does this work, then how can we be responsible? And that sure seems what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? That we are responsible to do what? To look on the Son. And the one, he says, who looks on the Son, what? He will have eternal life. If you'll but look on the Son. So we have here Jesus saying both. And we see it over and over in Scripture. This reminder that God is sovereign, that He rules over everything. That no one can come to the Father except that the Father draws Him. And at the same time, what? We're responsible to come to the Son. We are responsible to believe in the Son. Sometimes I think we kind of like pull these things apart and, and we got to understand in the midst of these things, God's sovereignty and human responsibility, there is great mystery there, how all that works together and you're not going to hear the answer to that this morning. But we see it over and over in Scripture, don't we? Philippians 1, or Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only in my present, but much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does it sound a whole lot like? You better obey. You better follow him. You need to follow him. You must obey. There is no other option. But if we just ended there, we'd be missing something great, wouldn't we? We would just be seeing human responsibility. But what does the next verse say? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We see these two things. In perfect harmony, God's sovereignty, our responsibility, they, they work together. Man, you and I, we are called to do what? We're called to repent and believe. Yet what were we also told in, in Scripture? That we repent and believe because He calls us to Himself. Because He draws us, as Jesus said another similar example in, in Matthew. One of those great verses we're probably familiar with, 11, uh, 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, it's that call that we are to come to him. That call to come, that call that we hear in this passage this morning to come to him, come to the one who is the bread of life. We'll be missing something if we didn't read verse 27 too, the verse that immediately precedes it. A verse that sounds well, it is. It should sound a whole lot like it because it's the same Jesus that we're reading about this morning. What does Jesus say? All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. These two. Mysterious, yes, but they work together. God is sovereign. He calls us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. That doesn't negate the fact that you and I are called to respond, called to repent and believe, trust in Him, to trust in the One. The One whom, if we come to Him, will never hunger again. The One of whom, if we believe in Him, we will never be thirsty. Thirsty again. So, as we kind of wrap up, we got to ask questions. So, how do we respond to this message? How do we respond to the one who calls himself the bread of life? 
Jesus says a little something actually to the people there that day about how they should respond, doesn't he? Verse 45, it's written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. How do we come? We come in hearing. And hearing the word of God, even hearing in the word of God as we're we're hearing this morning, as we're, we're hearing Jesus issue a call to us to come to him to believe in Him, to, to trust in Him, and understand that this Word that we preach here, the Word that we find reading our Bibles, whether it's privately you read it, that we read it publicly here, it's never apart from Jesus. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except He who is from God. He's seen the Father. He is the one who, is, who has come down. He is the one who is the bread of life, Jesus Christ Himself, the only one. He's the only one who can truly satisfy us. He's the only one. Now what are we going to do? We we have the bread of life before us. The one alone who can satisfy. How are we going to respond? Jesus seemed to know how many of them would respond. He gives them a warning in verse 49, doesn't he? Your fathers, they ate man in the wilderness and they died. They were provided the bread of heaven. But they failed to believe and trust in the provider. Bread of heaven coming down for them every day. Their bellies filled up. But they failed to trust in the provider. And so Jesus offers you and I, he offered them in that day an invitation. Verse 47, truly, truly. I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. So that one may eat of it and not die. All that Jesus has been speaking of. This incredible bread that he has been speaking of. It is available to you and to I if we will just believe. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do you hear the call of the bread of life today? Do you hear the call to trust him as the only one who can satisfy the longings of your soul? Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe him? Do you believe his words are really true? Do you believe that he is the only one who can fill up that God-shaped vacuum inside of you? Do you believe that he is the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul? Or will you keep running to other fountains, to other springs, other things, thinking somehow they will satisfy that which only he can. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The question is very simple. 
difficult, but simple. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe him? Do you believe that what he said is true? Let's pray. Oh, Father, even as we think through that question, I can't help but think for many of us the answer is, I believe, but help my unbelief. Oh, Father, would you, through the work of your Spirit in our lives, instruct our hearts, teach our hearts to trust you as the only one who can truly satisfy. That we would believe the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you help us to believe? And Father, for those who, who may have never come to you, those who have never truly believed in you. Might you be this day and even in this moment working on their hearts. Might you draw them to yourself, O Lord. And might those who have never responded hear the call of their Savior this day. And come to him. And believe in Him. Believe in Him. The one who has eternal life. The one who promises to raise us up in the resurrection of the last day. The one who gave everything. The one who came as the suffering servant. To save. And to redeem. To save and redeem His brothers and sisters. We thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We know we aren't here because we're good enough. We thank you for the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you convince us more and more of it each day? Would you convince us more and more that he truly is the only one who can satisfy? We pray this all in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven.